So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Let me pray as we get started. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for who you are. Psalm 143 verse 1, David says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleads for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Father, we pray this morning that you would give ear to our prayers. Uh, Father, many of us have been through hard times this week with loss of power and water, some still with repairs to be made within their homes. It has been stressful and tiring to go through another event like this. But Lord, we are grateful that you hear our prayers, that you put people around us that, as Matt said, can help and provide uh, during these times. And Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us in these moments. And Lord, we just ask today uh, that as a church, we continue to find ways to connect with others to see that they may come to know Christ as their Savior. Lord, we pray for the needs of our community uh, to be met. And Father, we pray now what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are coming to the divinely God-breathed, inspired book that is good and it is profitable for uh, correction and reproof and training and righteousness. Father, to take that word within our hearts, our minds today is what we need so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work that you call us to. And so, Father, we pray for our time in the word together today that you will bless it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You know, there are estimated to be 29 million people in the state of Texas. According to our 2019 data, uh, Texas has a population of right at 29 million people. Now, we saw last week millions upon millions of people in darkness with no power, no electricity, and no water. Now, we are grateful that for many, uh, electricity has returned. Power is back on in their homes. But there are still close to 19 million people, according to the North American Mission Board and the State Baptist Convention of Texas, that are in spiritual darkness today. 19 million people, it's estimated in our state, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as power has come back on in their homes, there are close to 19 million people still walking around today in spiritual darkness. While they are glad that light is back on where they are, there is no spiritual light in their life. Jesus calls every one of us to do something about that. That is what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions every believer in him to go and to make disciples of all people. We express it this way at Heights, that our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. That's what we want to do, to fulfill the commission that Jesus has given us as believers. We want to love people and lead them to a new life with Christ. There are four ways we do that here. There are four ways and purposes we live out our love and lead commission. First, we want to be a church that serves. 
We want to be a church that serves our community around us. We don't want to just be a church in a community, but for a community. And so one thing we have to constantly remind ourselves of this is God did not put all the people around Heights Baptist Church to make Heights Baptist Church bigger. God put Heights Baptist Church and all the people around Heights Baptist Church for us to take the gospel to them, to make them better, to help them worship the Lord. We want to be a church that serves. We want to be a church that connects, meaning this, we want to be in relationship with each other. We don't want to just be people who just come and sit for a service and go out the door. The Christian life's not lived to be lived alone in isolation, but in community. And you see the need for community constantly with, unfortunately, these historic events that you don't have to go through life and the ups and downs by yourself. And so we want to be a church that connects. We want to be a church that engages. We want to engage in growth in our spiritual disciplines to learn how to read the Bible, to pray, to share our faith, to grow in those areas. But finally, we want to be a church that shares. We don't want to be just a church that knows the good news of Jesus Christ, but shares the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're doing our series right now called Healthy Habits. We're taking a look at those spiritual disciplines to say these are things that we have to practice as believers in Jesus Christ to grow healthy in our faith because this is the mission that Jesus has given us to go out and to share the gospel with others. You pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul, in verse 17, takes a turn within the text, and he talks more now about who you are in Christ and what you're commissioned to do for Christ. We pick up in verse 17, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This morning, you need to understand who you are in Christ. If you want to be a person that doesn't just know the good news of Jesus, but shares the good news to develop that healthy habit in your life, to be a person that shares, to help make disciples, to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ, know who you are. Paul says in verse 17, you are a new creation. That if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So that means this, simply, that when you come to place your faith in Christ, you get a new mind. You have the mind of Christ now. You have the new mind, a new way of thinking. You have a new passion. Like we just said, there are 19 million people in spiritual darkness. The being in spiritual darkness apart from Christ does not mean they love the Lord doesn't mean they worship God. They can't. They don't have Christ yet. But when you come to Christ, now you have a new passion in your life. You have a love for the Lord. You have a worship for the Lord. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. You have new passion. Uh, how about this? You have a, a new ability to, to speak kindly to each other, to share the gospel with one another. Not only do you have a new mind, a new spirit, now you have new passions. You have a new family. Now you have brothers and sisters locally that are in Christ. You have brothers and sisters all around the world. You have a new family in Christ. And good news, you have a new eternal destination. When you are new in Christ, you are no longer bound for hell for all of eternity. Now because of Christ, you are bound for heaven as your home. That's good news, amen? amen. That is who you are in Christ. There is a man by the name of Rick. Rick had a warehouse uh, that he was trying to sell. It was uh, been on his property for years. 
And this warehouse, just over years, it, it began to be run down. Windows were broken out of it. Ceiling was falling in in parts of it. Paint was peeling. Foundation was cracked. There's a lot of work to be done in this warehouse. And Rick, had, he had been trying to buy it or, you know, sell it and sell it and sell it, and just nobody would buy it. Finally, one day, Rick had a buyer. And this buyer came, and, and Rick showed him around the warehouse. And, and Rick said, listen, before you buy it, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll fix up all the walls. I'll, you know, I'll fix the ceiling. I'll fix the foundation cracks. I'll, I'll get it looking nice for you before you buy it. Rick looked at him, and he said, no, I'm not here to repair the building. I'm here to tear the building down. Amen. I don't want the building. I want the site that the building is on. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life, he doesn't come in to do a repair job. Jesus comes into your life and he says, I'm here to tear the old you down. I'm here for the site. I'm here to build a new you. That's what it means to be new in Christ. That Jesus gives us new life. And how is that possible? How is it possible to be a new creation in Christ? Look in verse 18. All of this is from God, all of this is from God, who Christ reconciled us to himself, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are new in Christ because all of this is from God, because when you come to faith in Christ, it's Christ who reconciles you to God. You've been in the situations before with your husband, with your wife, with your girlfriend, your boyfriend. You've been in the situation with your friends. You've been in the situation with your boss. You've been in this situation with your coworkers, maybe your neighbors. The situation in which you had a disagreement with someone. You had an argument. You had a fight. Maybe it was over Whataburger or In-N-Out. Which one's better? Batman, Superman. Astros, Rangers. Yeah. Mask, no mask. Democrats, Republicans. I mean, whatever the situation was, you got in an argument. You got in a fight. And when that argument, that fight happens, now there's, there's a break in the relationship. The relationship is strained. The relationship's in trouble. And for the relationship to be repaired, you have to be reconciled to one another. And if the relationship stays broken, then that friendship over time, it's going to become awkward. You're no longer going to be friends anymore. You're not going to speak to the person. You're going to move away from them and, and not relate to them anymore. But reconciliation happens when one side initiates and says, listen, I'm sorry, we need to reconcile. Reconciliation happens with God through the work of Christ. But here's what's amazing about the way God reconciles us. When we sin against him, the relationship is strained. It is broken. It is hurt. But it's not God's fault that we sin. The Bible says God is holy. God doesn't sin. When the relationship goes bad, it's our fault. It's our sin against him. But the good news of God's reconciliation is, even though he's the one offended by what we have done to him, he takes the initiative in the reconciliation process. He's the one who says, I want to reconcile with you. I'm going to send my son Jesus to take that sin away from you, even though you've sinned against me. He's the one who says, I want to reconcile you. Know who you are in Christ to be a person who shares the good news of Jesus. You're a new creation, but drop down to verse 20. Paul also says in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal 
through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are a new creation in Christ, but now we're also ambassadors for Christ. To be an ambassador uh, simply means to be a representative and speak on behalf of the one who has sent you. So if you're an ambassador, you are sent and you are a representative and you're speaking on the behalf of the one who has sent you. The United States has 189 ambassadors around the world. Those ambassadors speak on behalf of our president. They represent us and our policies, communicating that to other countries in which they are sent. This is who we are in Christ. We are new creations through the work of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors who represent the King Jesus, who speak the message that Jesus gives us, who are sent by Christ to be a person who practices a healthy habit of sharing the gospel, not just being a person who knows good news, but shares the good news, remember who you are. But secondly, know what you have. Know what you have. I I love verse 18. It's really one of my favorite verses in this whole section. In verse 18, when we know what we have, it says, all this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. But notice this, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means this, you're all called and commissioned and sent by God to be ministers of the gospel in the sense that this is what you do. You help people be reconciled to God by introducing them to the one who does the work. His name's Jesus. And so I I often pray this way. I often say, Lord, help me do what you called me to do. And God, you do what you do, right? Lord, help me just to share the message. And God, you do the part of the saving work. That's not my part. My part's just to be the one who shares. So God, help me do what you call me to do. And Lord, you do what you do. And that's verse 18. We have the ministry and the call of reconciliation, introducing people to Christ. So that's who we are. We have a ministry that God has called us to, sends us out in. But notice also, we have a message He doesn't just leave us to ourselves, not being able to share something. He gives us something to share. Look in verse 19. Here's the message we share. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Notice also verse 21. The message of the gospel is found right here for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the heart of the message we share. That Christ on the cross took our sin, and by faith in Jesus, you receive his righteousness. You receive his forgiveness. The old reformer Martin Luther called it the great exchange. You give Jesus your sin. Jesus gives you his righteousness. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message we share as people who are new in Christ, as people who are ambassadors for Christ, as people who have a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. But notice who's working with you. I love this part. Who's working with you. Look in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6. He says, working together with him. 
then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in favorable times, I listened to you in the day of salvation. I have helped you. I love verse 1. Working together with him. Who's the him in verse 1? It's God. God is working through you and in you when you share the gospel with other people. I love what he says back up in verse 19. That is Christ. Or that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not committing their trespasses against them, entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, God is making his appeal through us. Do you see that? God never sends you out alone. For many of us, we're in our groups. We're studying the seven realities for experiencing God, and you're going through that story of Moses where Moses experiences, you know, the encounter with God at the, at the burning bush, and God's calling Moses uh, to go out to Pharaoh and go march in and say, you know, let my people go. And that story is always amazing to me uh, because when you think of the practical implications of that, uh, you can make a long list of how that plan made zero sense, right? I mean, you you get into the argument and discussion for Moses as he's think, thinking, wait a minute, hang on. I've been gone for 40 years. And you just want me to walk into the most powerful leader in the world and say, hey, I know you've had us enslaved for 400 years, but God told me to tell you to let my people go. So I'm sorry that I'm about to crash your economy. I'm sorry I'm about to take your free labor force out. I need to now move out maybe a million to two million people. Hey, is that cool, Pharaoh? Like, will you do that? How much sense did that make? None. And so if you haven't gotten there in the study yet, just kind of a sneak peek, Moses is going to start making some excuses. And Moses is going to do what you and I do when God calls us to do something. Well, God, I can't do this. God, I'm not good at that. God, there's no way I can do that. No, no, Lord, not me. And God's going to answer every excuse for Moses, just as God answers every excuse for you and I. But understand this. When God commissions and calls and sends us to do something, to come back to God and say no, and to make an excuse for a reason of it, is to deny the authority of God in your life. When we tell God, no, I can't do this, I can't do that, you've now said, God, you're no longer on the throne of my life in this situation. It's me again. Instead, you and I have got to go, okay, we got it, because you have us. You're working in us and through us. Chapter 6, verse 1, you are working with us. That's good news, because he says, just go and do what I'm calling you to do. So then how do we build this healthy habit of sharing the gospel? How, how do you develop that in your life? How, how do you, if you say this morning, you know, I, I know this good news, but I don't, I don't ever really share it. How do, I, how do I get in that habit of being someone who shares? Just like any habit, you've got to practice. Right? You, you just got to work on it. We have habits all the time in our lives. We do. We have good habits and bad habits. Those habits were developed. This is something you have to develop and work on. So let me give you a, a few kind of tips here. Number one, focus on people, not just a crowd. Okay, focus on people and not just a crowd. What I mean by that is this. 
For decades upon decades, the way we have viewed evangelism within our churches, because our culture responded this way, was we would hold a lot of mass events. We would try to attract big crowds, and then we would have someone stand up and share the gospel to the crowd. But what you have seen incrementally over the last several years, now sped up by the pandemic, is a shift away from mass gatherings. And now evangelism has to go more one-on-one, has to do more relational. So that means as a church and as people who ought to desire to love and lead all people to new life with Christ, we have to say as a church, we can't put all our eggs in the evangelism basket of Sunday morning or vacation Bible school or fall festival or big events where we draw crowds just to have one person share the gospel with them. Now, will we still do those things? Yes, because I still think they have a place in evangelism, and I still think God uses those. So what I'm saying is this. To be more effective and to reach more people, we have to understand it has to be on a more one-to-one level. The more people sharing Jesus, the more people being reached by Jesus. And so, yes, still invite people to church. I'm all for that. I invited some folks this week. Still bring your friends. Still we'll have those events uh, if we feel like God's leading us to have them at the moment. But what you and I have to say is this. I've got to start seeing people around me and not just a crowd around me to share the gospel. Second, do this. Develop friendships with people who need Jesus. Again, our culture is very relational. Develop friendships with people who need Jesus. 2020 and the pandemic also exposed another thing. Even though we are relational within our digital communications, people still need people. People still need to talk to people and see people and be present with people. So develop friendships with people who need Jesus. Now this is going to be painful of the part of the sermon, okay? I love you. And I I hope you know that. But you and I have to start busting our Christian subculture that we have built. We have built a Christian subculture around us that we isolate ourselves in our Christian bubbles. Everything we do is with each other. Now, is there anything wrong on connecting with one another in relationships? No. But how many lost people do you really know? How many people do I really know? So do this with me. In your mind, just kind of space out for a minute. It's going to be a little more of a challenge for some of you than others. But just space out for a minute with me, okay? And just think in your mind. You can even close your eyes if you want to. Put a blank sheet of paper in your mind. On the left side of that piece of paper, visualize names of 10 people that today you could share a deep prayer request with. Okay, just just in your mind, think, all right, 10 people I could share a deep prayer request with. All right, you getting that list pretty quick? Some of you go, yeah, man, I I got 10. On the right side of the piece of paper, Think and list out 10 names of people you know who do not know Jesus Christ, 
that you could sit down with today and share the gospel one-on-one. That list, honestly, is probably a little harder to make, isn't it? And I I said that part was going to be painful. It's painful for me. I'm the same one. I'm in a Christian subculture around Christians all the time. For, For those of you, and again, I've said this throughout my ministry, for those of you that go to work every day, I am envious of you. You walk into a mission field every day of having coworkers around you that don't know Christ as their Savior. All of our pastors and ministers and staff here better know Christ as their Savior, right? So I'm in a workforce every day around Christians. Some of you, you don't have to try to be anywhere, right? And so think about that. Do you know just as many non-Christians you could share the gospel with as Christians you could share prayer requests with? So one of our strategies here we're trying to develop over the years to get us into this habit is what we call a four-by-four plan. Our four-by-four plan is pretty simple. Find four people that you know that don't know Christ. Now, maybe you say, well, I only know two or three. Okay, start right there. But find four people that you know who don't know Christ as their Savior. Spend time praying for them regularly. Uh, Think about it, praying for them four times a week. All right, then have four parties with them. Take them out for coffee. Invite them over to the house. Do some things with them where you can sit down and talk and share the gospel with them. And it's all for Christ. That's why we do that. That's our four-by-four plan, right? Four people, four parties, four prayers. It's for Christ. And so develop friendships with those who need Jesus. Third, let me give you this. Remember who you are, who's working with you, and what you're called to do. All right, as you develop that healthy habit of evangelism, of sharing your faith, not wanting just to be a person who knows the good news but shares the good news. Remember who you are. You're new in Christ. You're ambassador for Christ. Remember what you have. You have a ministry, a God-called ministry. You have a message. And remember who's working with you. God's working with you. So every time you share the gospel, you don't fail. Every time I train people in evangelism, I say that. The only time you fail to share the gospel is when you don't share the gospel. So if you share and that person doesn't get saved at the moment, guess what? You didn't fail, right? They didn't reject you. They rejected Jesus, but you put a seed in their heart. You put the word of God in their heart. The only time you fail at evangelism is when you fail at sharing the gospel. So let's go over one tool just very quickly. I'm trying to, in this series, get very practical with you and give you some resources. Let me show you one tool that I use often uh, that I train people on that's very, very simple. And so if you have an iPhone and you've already got it, uh, maybe you've downloaded it, um, it's called uh, Life Conversation Guide. I'm going to pull mine up right here. It's a neat app uh, through our North American Mission Board. Uh, If you have Android, you can find it on Google Play, or this is where you can take out a piece of paper real quick, and you can just write this out. It's going to be on the screen for you. Those that are at home uh, participate with us. It's called the Three Circles, and it's the Life Conversation app, and it's super easy to use. What I love about this app is if you get stuck, if you get scared, If you don't know what to say, they give you everything to say. So you could go, hey, my crazy pastor just told me to read this to you. Can I? Right? 
You know, and so you can take it and make it very conversational. Some of you may have known Romans Road. I use Romans Road often as well. And so whatever tool you use, use your tool. But here's a great conversation tool. Let me show you how it works. And again, on that app, it'll take you word by word what you can share with someone. But we need to understand that the Bible tells us in the very, very beginning that God made everything. And we see within God's design And that's our first circle. Within God's design, everything was perfect. Marriage was perfect between Adam and Eve. She didn't burn the toast, right? He took out the trash when he needed to. Everything was perfect between man and woman, between man and animal, between man and God. Everything in nature was perfect. Guess what? No snowstorms or power outages. Praise God. That was God's design. However, sin entered our world. And from that God's design circle, you want to just draw an arrow called sin right to the next circle. Sin came into our world, and man brought sin into our world by disobeying God. And when sin entered our world, now brokenness happened. And now our world became broken. And because uh, we sinned against him, our relationship with God was broken. And now there's a separation between man and God uh, that, it, that, that man can't repair. But there's also brokenness all around us. Now that relationship between Adam and Eve had brokenness in it. Now relationship between man and animal was broken. Guess what? Even nature was broken. Now we have those storms and those historic things. Why? Because we live in a world that's fallen, that's sinful. But the good news is this, that God did not want to leave us in brokenness. And God did not want to say, I want a broken world. And even though we try to escape brokenness in a lot of different ways, and you see kind of those little squiggly lines coming out of brokenness, we try to escape in a lot of ways. We try to get back to God through our good moral works. We try to maybe turn to alcohol or turn to pornography or turn to other relationships that aren't healthy. To say, you know, I want to repair that relationship with God. We try to escape our brokenness, but we can't. God doesn't want to leave us in that state. So the good news is the third circle, and it's called the gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that God sent Jesus Christ into this world to die on a cross for our sin, to be buried in a tomb on the third day, he rose again. And the good news of the gospel is only good when you receive it, and when you invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And so what happens with that is called repent and believe. And you see an arrow that goes from that circle of brokenness to the gospel. The Bible calls us to receive Jesus, place our faith in Christ, and so we repent of our sin, meaning we just turn from it. We turn from our brokenness. We turn from wanting to live life our own way, and we repent of that, and we believe in Christ. And the good news is this, the final arrow that goes from the gospel back up to God's design is recover and pursue. That when you turn from your sin and you believe in the gospel, Believe in what Christ has done. Now God recovers you, and you recover that design back. Now you can pursue God in your life and the design he has for your life. And I'm going to ask them just to leave that up there uh, for the time being in case some of you are writing. Again, you can find that on that app. It's just that simple to be able to share the gospel. And this is a great tool to make it very conversational. But what I'm going to ask you to do right now is this. I'm going to ask for us to go to the Lord in prayer because today we need to remember 19 million people within our state do not have their power back on. They don't have the spiritual power and light of Christ. They are in darkness. 
And for some of you, that is friends, that is family members, that is grandkids, that is husbands, that are wives. And I'm going to ask you to pray for them right now. Would you close your eyes and just bow your heads right where you are? When you begin to pray for those people that you know who need salvation, if you think of that sheet of paper in your mind again, it would be the people on the right side of that sheet of paper. That friend, that neighbor, that co-worker you're going to see tomorrow, the grandkid coming over to your house today. Maybe you have those folks in your life you're praying through, like in our 4 by 4 strategy. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to right now, even today, where they are to put a Christian in their path that may share the gospel with them. I want you to pray to be that person. I want you to pray that God, as I go out in my day, in my week, help me not to see a crowd, but help me to see people. Help me maybe to share the gospel with someone this week. There are times that God will give you opportunities to do that, and there are times you just need to flat make the opportunity. So maybe this week it's to pick up the phone and call somebody. Invite them out to coffee and sit down and share. As you're praying for those, I'm going to pray this morning and ask for those of you today that don't know Christ as your Savior to receive Jesus. The good news of the gospel is only good news until you invite Christ into your life. Without Jesus in, it's only news. And so today, maybe you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today you're ready to repent of your sin, believe in him, and pursue and recover back God's design for your life. You can pray right where you are. Dear God, I need Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. And I place my faith and trust in him, in him alone. Thank you for saving me today. Father, I thank you for the prayers that have been prayed for those that are lost. Father, may we agree with Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Help us to weep, to feel a burden for those that are around us, those that are in our lives that don't know Christ yet as their Savior. We pray for them to come to know Jesus. We pray for an awakening within our state, our nation, and our world of more people coming to Christ as their Savior for you to receive more worship, God. And so, Father, I pray today for those that may have prayed online, may have prayed here in the worship center to come to know Christ as their Savior, that, Lord, we will celebrate that and help them take that next step of faith, we pray. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.